We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And uh, for the half of you that weren't here last week, because it was Fourth of July weekend, uh, one of the things that happened was a few weeks ago now, I was down in Atlanta with my coaching group, and uh, there's a, a new gentleman that's, that joined up with us this year, and his name's Bode, and he's from Transform Church in Philadelphia. And as we were talking, this is him and his wife right there, awesome people. And as we were talking to him, we're talking about our churches and kind of, you know, like, what's going on. He said, you know, it's so hard because, you know, after I get home from work, then I'm trying to do all this. I'm like, what do you mean after you get home from work? He's like, well, yeah, I work at Comcast. I'm there about 50 hours a week. And we're like, what? You're working 50 hours a week and planning a church at the same time? He's like, yeah. I'm like, so when do you prepare messages and meet with people and mentor people and train up disciples and... You know, raise up leaders. He's like, I try to do that in the evenings. So when do you hang out with your wife and your children? He's like, ah. So we decided this was no good. And so some of the other churches and I, we got together and we talked. And we decided that we were going to pay a year of his salary so that he could quit Comcast. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and so now he's able to devote himself full time to pastoring Transform Church in Philadelphia, which is an awesome thing. And so we got this email from him this week. It says, I want to thank you again for making this investment into my life and our God dream for Philadelphia. I'm confident that your generosity towards my salary is going to help Transform Church move farther and faster to reach more people in our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think this is without a doubt a game changer for us. I'm praying that Jesus will make all grace abound to you, your family, and your church. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around what God used you guys to do. This is amazing. Thank you. So that's all of you, like, I'm not paying his salary. Like, it's, it's, like, this is, Radiant Church is one of the things that we're doing. So thank you so much for your generosity. It's really fun to be able to do stuff like this. So Jesus, thank you for what you've done in Radiant Church. Jesus, thank you for the people that gave sacrificially when we were starting out so that we could do this. And God, as we give to Transform Church, Lord, we just pray that you would continue uh, to cause that church to prosper and to grow. Jesus, we pray for Bode and his wife and his family, God, as they lead this church. Jesus, we pray that you would be a hedge of protection around them. God, that you would bring them everything that they need. And Jesus, in this next year, Lord, that you would see a miracle happen in the amount of people who are far from you, whose hearts are changed. Jesus, just disciples are made, that the oppressed receive the freedom that comes only from you, that the hopeless find the hope that's only in you, that those who are spiritually dead receive spiritual life. Jesus, because of what you are doing. And God, we're so grateful you gave first to us, and we're excited for this opportunity to be able to support Transform Church and what's going on there. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, hey, if you're new here, thank you so much for being our guest this morning. We're honored by that. In the seat back in front of you, there are some communication cards, and we'd love to have you fill one of those out, and you can turn it in at the information table on your way out. We have a free Radiant T-shirt for you as our way of saying thanks for being here. And then this week, I'll send you an email welcoming you to the church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. And then if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5. As we're continuing in our series, Luke investigating Jesus, we're just taking a really long time to go through and discover who Jesus is, what it was that he taught, and now how it changes our life and affects us. Like, what do we do with who Jesus is and what it is that he taught? And last week, I love it because we were talking about Jesus healing the paralyzed man. If you remember, he's teaching on the kingdom of God. Uh, he's healing people. Some friends come. They have a, a paralyzed friend. They try to get him there so that Jesus can heal him. They can't get in the house because it's absolutely jam-packed, as you can imagine it would be if Jesus was walking around healing people. 
So they go up to the roof, they tear a hole in the roof, lower their paralyzed friend down through there, which is probably really dangerous, but he's paralyzed, so you take a chance. And Jesus sees their faith, he responds to it, heals him, forgives his sins, not just heals him, but says, your sins are forgiven, heals him, he gets up, and he goes out, and everybody's just going crazy because they recognize that, there's, that God is here, that he's among us, that he's here to forgive our sins, and he's here to bring healing to us and to restore us. And what's great about that is if Jesus is the one who's able to forgive sins, he's also the one who can be the friend of sinners. And he doesn't have to hold sinners at an arm length from him. He invites them to come in. Jesus is going around and he's looking for sinners. He's like narrowing in on them. He's got like a sin-seeking radar. And that's all of us. And so he's just coming and he's searching us out, saying, who's far from me? Who's a captive? Who's in bondage? Who needs release? Who needs my love? And he's just going around the face of the earth. And he's just searching out and seeking the people that everyone else has been despising and rejecting and trying to stay away from. But Jesus is just locked onto these people, and he's going to them. And we read about this. After Jesus has just got done with this miraculous healing of the paralytic man, after he's demonstrated that he can forgive sins, it says in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, this is the setup for the whole story. It's really important that you understand what the tax system is like for them. Now, in Judea at the time, they've been conquered by a whole bunch of people. Their, most, their, their current occupying force is the Romans. They came in, they destroyed them utterly and completely. People were disposed, lots of other people were brought in, and they erected the Iron Eagle in there by the temple so that like, it was defiling everything that you could possibly have defiled as a Jewish person. Now this other emperor has come in, and he's saying that I am God, in fact, which is terrible to them. And they're having to do some emperor worship to be able to continue to survive and be a people. Uh, nobody likes being occupied. It's just not a good place for you to be. It doesn't do anything good for your pride. They have very limited freedom, abilities to express themselves. They're living in a really bad state right now. And as a constant reminder of that, they have these tax booths that are set up inside of every city. So whenever someone comes in and they're bringing in goods to sell, if you're coming in from the farm fields, you're going to sell your vegetables or whatever it might be so you can provide for your family, there's a booth there, and you have to come in and you have to pay taxes to the Roman government. It's this constant sign that you are being occupied, that you don't have freedom, that you're oppressed, that you're despised, that you're a rejected people, and you're continuing to have to pay incredibly high taxes to this occupying force to continue to fund their ability to occupy you and oppress you. So it's not a, like, they hate this. They hate the tax collection booths. This is the symbol of their oppression. This is a symbol of the Roman government's intrusion of their life. And then... Inside of the tax collector's booth is the tax collector himself. And this is a person that everybody hates. Now, you have like the symbol of the government, like, oh, they hate the Romans and all of that. But now you actually see a person. So now it's personal. This is the object. This is the person that I can put all of my hate and all of my scorn on this individual because they're the one that is taxing me. And they were despised because uh, it, to the Romans who they're working for, this was equivalent to being a pimp, basically. That's the kind of social status that you had. You can make a ton of money, but you were considered to be an untouchable person in Roman society. You were a hustler. You were someone that was extorting other people. Because what they would do is they would uh, collect the taxes they were supposed to, but then they'd collect extra tax on top of that to fund their own personal slush accounts. 
So the Romans hate them, even though they're working for the Romans. And then the Jews hate them too because, it's again, it's a symbol of Rome and their occupation. But also they're being ripped off by these tax collectors. They're not just having to pay what they owe the government. They're forcing them and shaking them down for even more money so that they can enrich themselves off of your back. And then to make it even worse, this person that's in the tax booth, his name is Levi. And what that means is he's not a Roman He's not Greek. He's not from somewhere else that came in and he's working this. Levi means that he's a Jew. And he's not just a Jew. He's from the tribe of Levi. He's someone that's supposed to be a priest. When everybody else sees Levi sitting in his tax booth, what they see is a backslidden, sellout, traitor who's instead of being a minister of God that's ministering to the Jewish people in their oppression and bringing them comfort, encouraging them, uplifting their spirits, instead of doing that, what God had called him to, what the culture had expected him to do, he's now enriching himself by being a traitor, working for the Roman government, and extorting his own people. He is not a popular guy. He's hated by the Romans, and he's really, really hated by the Jews. And so Jesus walks up to this tax collector's booth to this man named Levi who's a backslidden Jew, who's a traitor to his people, who's walked away from the call of God on his life, who's enriching himself by shaking down people. He says, follow me and be my disciple. Now, Jesus has already called some people to follow him and be his disciples. So he's got his little posse. They're walking around, healing people, and they walk up. And imagine, put yourself in the spot of, of maybe Peter. Peter's following Jesus. Peter was a zealot before he started following Jesus, which meant that he was a part of the armed resistance to Roman occupation. Peter was one of the guys that was going around, and they were like doing terrorist attacks against the tax collectors to go and to violently kill them at some points, to try to strike fear into their hearts so they wouldn't perform the tax-collecting duties, try to make the Roman government scared. So this is Peter the Zealot. He's like, oh, man, now we got Jesus. Like, we're going to go lay the smack down on these tax collectors. Yes, like, I thought I was bad. Jesus is going to call down fire from heaven. It's going to be awesome. He's going to roast Levi. Jesus is good. <laughs> Instead, Jesus goes up to him. And says, follow me and be my disciple. If you're Peter, like, no, Jesus, what? Like, no, 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 no. We do not want this guy on our team. Jesus, I know it's like a hot day. You've been doing a lot of ministry. Like, let me tell you about what this Levi guy is like. This is the last guy that we want on our team. Jesus, you might not know, but he's sinful. Just throwing that out there. Like, we hate him. We're supposed to be killing him. He's a symbol of the Roman government. We're supposed to be resisting him. Jesus, this is not the guy. You want more people like me. We need zealots. We need strong people. We need people going to pay the price and kill people, do whatever it takes. But Jesus goes to Levi, someone that's as far from God as you possibly could imagine if you were Peter, goes up to him and says, follow me and be my disciple. Put yourself in the place of Levi now. Your whole life, you've been hated. You've been hated by the people that you work for. Even though you work for them, perform a duty for them, they still think that you're a pimp, you're a hustler. There's nothing that's good about you. There's no opportunity for you to move up in the social standing. You're just despised. Nobody's inviting you to parties. Nobody's hanging out with you. There is no honor in what it is that you do as a profession. 
And then the people you're collecting taxes from, he knows what his name is. He knows he's Levi. He knows that he's supposed to be a priest. He knows that he has a call of God that's on his life that goes back centuries. He knows all of these things. He knows that he's supposed to be ministering to the people. He knows that he's supposed to be on their side. He knows that he's supposed to be supporting them. But instead, he's extorting them and he's getting rich by stealing from them. He's oppressing the people that he was called to minister to. He knows all of this. He's a man that doesn't have a people. The Romans hate him. The Jews hate him. Nobody likes Levi. And probably every rabbi that went around, every prophet, every teacher, they probably all gathered their posses and they went up to Levi to show how bad they were and they called down fire on him. And they said, look at this sinner, you're a backslidden Jew, Turner, burn, blah, 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 all of these sorts of things. And so here he is and he's done this probably a thousand times. And here comes another rabbi with another, oh, here comes a zealot too, this is going to be good. Hope I make it home tonight. I'm just going to sit here and take the abuse once again. But instead of Jesus coming up and condemning him, instead of Jesus coming up and shaming him, instead of Jesus pouring out vitriol and hate and scorn and all of these other things like he's so used to receiving, Jesus comes up to him says, follow me. Be my disciple. Levi's never heard anything like this. Of all of the things that Jesus could have said to him, this had to be the one that was farthest from his mind. He couldn't have anticipated that this was how it was going to play out. That this rabbi, this religious man, who's got a name for himself now, he's healing people, he's teaching powerfully and boldly, the masses are following him. This guy, he could have gone up to anybody and asked anybody to follow him, could have asked anybody to be his disciple. He's coming up to me. He's asking me to follow him. He's asking me to be his disciple. And this is how Levi responds. It says, so Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. And what we're seeing right there with Levi getting up, leaving everything, and following after Jesus, what we're witnessing in this one sentence is Levi's repentance. This is the reorienting of Levi's life. This is the moment where everything changes for him. And we have to have that sort of a moment in our lives too. If we're Christians, what it means is that there was some point where when we were far from God, when we were living like Levi, when we were, there might have been a call of God on us that we were aware of and we purposely decided that we were going to walk away from it, we weren't going to live up to it. Uh, it might be that we never had any idea that God had any plans or anything for us. But at, at some moment, Jesus came up to you when you were far from him, and instead of pouring out hate and scorn and shame and condemnation on you, he came up to you in your sinfulness when you were living as an enemy of Jesus, when you were living for yourself, when you were living for others, when you were oppressing people, when you were hating people, when you were doing whatever it was that you were doing, there was a point where Jesus came up to you when you were sitting in your tax collector's booth. He said, follow me and be my disciple. And you were given a choice 
And so am I going to do this or not? Am I going to follow after Jesus? Am I going to reorient my life? And that's what repent means. Am I going to turn away from the way that I've been living so that I can go in a new direction now? Am I going to leave my sinfulness behind? Am I going to leave my extortion, my oppression, all of these things? Am I going to leave all of that behind so that I can follow after Jesus and so that I can be his disciple, so that I can live in a new way? And this is what Levi does. His first part of his repentance is that, number one, he left everything. It's the first thing it says. When Jesus says, follow me, it says, Levi gets up and he leaves everything. Now, what's everything? It's everything. It's the way that you think. He left the way that he thought behind to follow after Jesus. As, as products of the Enlightenment, the whole idea behind the Enlightenment, I love it. You can sum it up to coming down to this one thing where it says, I think, therefore I am. Right? That's kind of the basis of our understanding of the world that's around us. It starts with the fact that we are because we have thoughts. And now everything that we process, right, wrong, what's good, what's bad, all comes down to us starting at the foundation of I think, therefore I am, and now I'm going to process everything else and determine what's moral, what's right, what's wrong, what's ethical, what's good, what's evil, what's righteous. All of that comes back to as a product of the enlightenment starting with us. And what Jesus is doing, what he's saying is if we want to give everything to him, the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about family, the way that we think about greed, the way that we think about the purpose, the value that we have in life, what it is that we're called to do, all of that, that's who we are, that's our everything, it affects our career, it affects the way that we live out our lives, everything comes back to our thoughts. And what Jesus is saying is he's calling us away from I think therefore I am, to Jesus's, therefore I am. See, what God calls us to do is to shift the starting point. It doesn't start with us. If it starts with us, it's how we end up with we get to determine whatever value we want for anything. We get to be the determiners of right and wrong. But if we say that the beginning of everything is Jesus, and because Jesus is, therefore I am. Because there is a Jesus, I have new life. Because of Jesus, I exist. I would not be here. None of this would be here if it wasn't for Jesus. So therefore, Jesus is the center of everything. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the definer of right and wrong. Jesus is the definer of what it is that I do with my life. Jesus is the one who gives purpose and meaning and value to things. It's not me anymore. That's what it means to leave everything behind. So why did Levi leave his tax booth? Why was it that he left his job working for the Roman government? It wasn't because he sat down and thought, okay, what's going to be best for me? I am, so now I'm going to extrapolate everything out from my own existence and what I determined to be good. He has a moment where he says, it's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the new starting point for my life. Jesus is the new center for my life. And if Jesus calls me to follow after him, then I'm going to leave everything else behind. I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to leave my friends. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave my own ideas of what's right and wrong, what's moral. I'm going to follow after everything that I, with everything I am, I'm going to come now to the starting point of Jesus. And I'm going to follow after him. I'm leaving everything else behind so that I can follow after Jesus. Number two, he had to follow. 
He left everything behind, but when it means that you follow after Jesus, what it's doing is it's giving control of the direction of your life over to Jesus. Oh, we, I mean, gosh, we're Americans. Like, we are more about control of our own life and our destiny than maybe any other people on the face of this earth. Like, you tax our tea, we're going to get our guns and burn a ship, and we're going to start a war. Like, nobody's going to control me or tell me what to do, right? That's America. I'm going to control my own destiny and my own fate. But if we're going to follow after Jesus, here's what you can't do. If you're following after Jesus, you can't be leading. I think a lot of times we say, yep, I'm following after Jesus. He's right behind me. Come on, Jesus, let's go. But that's how we view it. I got Jesus. I'm a Christian now. He's going to bless me. He's going to cause me to prosper. He's right back here, Jesus. Like, I'm heading off into the life I'm going to make for myself. I'm going to forge my own way, and Jesus is with me, so this is going to be great. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, hey, can I tag along? Leave everything and let me tag along after you. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I want you to follow after me. After we decide that we're going to leave everything, that we're going to make Jesus the center and the starting point for everything in our life, the next thing that we have to do is follow after him. We have to give control of our lives over to Jesus. It's not about us anymore. It's not about us deciding what we're going to do. It's about saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. And I love Jesus didn't say, here's what's going to happen. For the next three years, you're going to follow me. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to give you the ability to cast out demons and to heal people. I'm going to send you out to preach. You're going to go out and you're going to start churches. It's going to be so cool. But I'm glad he didn't do that too because he didn't also say, hey, you're going to get beaten up. You're going to end up being a martyr. You're going to end up being hated and persecuted. Jesus didn't say what's going to happen over the next three years or over the course of Levi's life, he just says, follow after me. Levi doesn't know where he's going. He just knows that Jesus said, follow me. And he says, all right. Jesus, where are we going? I'm not telling you. All right. When are we going to get there? I'm not telling you. All right, this sounds like a good plan. Like, what corners do I throw on my phone? Like, you don't worry about it. You don't need a phone. What? Don't need a phone. I can't do this, Jesus. I'm willing to leave everything else behind, but i got to take my phone with me. Jesus just says, follow after me. Stop being in control of your life, and you just let me lead you with where you're supposed to go. I'm not even going to tell you where we're going, but trust me, I'm going to take you somewhere good. That's what Levi does. He gets up, has no idea where he's going, but he's willing to leave everything behind and he's willing to follow after Jesus. And then number three, he became a disciple. So Jesus says, he's saying, follow me and be my disciple. Now that doesn't just mean one of the 12 that we read about. Jesus had more than 12 disciples. We are all disciples. If you've decided that you're going to follow after Jesus, that you're a Christian, that you're going to make him the center of your life, that you're going to give him control over the way that you live, you're becoming a disciple of Jesus. And at the time, what would happen was the rabbis would go around and they would have their disciples, and these were the people that were becoming like them. They were being trained and they were being mentored so that they could be like the rabbi. And this is what Jesus is saying, is I don't want you just to leave everything else behind. I don't want you just to follow after me just for the sake of leaving everything behind and following after me. I'm having you do all of these things so that you can become like me. And this is the greatest part of it. Jesus wants us to be like him. 
I love Jesus. I don't like me a whole lot. Like, my wife likes me. That's about it in this world. I don't like me. I don't want to be like me. But Jesus says, this is the invitation that he gives me. When I read the Bible, which is in the front row there, I should have it up here. But when I read my Bible and I read about Jesus, I'm like, I want to be like this guy. I want my life to look like that. I want that kind of heart. I want that kind of love. I want that kind of passion and mercy. I want that relationship. Like, I want to be like Jesus. And what Jesus does, the invitation he gives all of us is to be his disciple. He says, come and be like me. You're leaving everything behind. You're reorienting your life. You're changing the way that you think. You're changing the starting point. You're giving me control over the direction of your life. You're going to follow after me so that you can become like me. Jesus didn't come, he didn't die on a cross to make you a better version of you. Like, I can do that with the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. I don't need a savior to be a better version of me. What I need is a savior to be like Jesus. Old me wasn't working. I need Jesus. And that's the invitation that Jesus gave to Levi. It's the invitation that Jesus gives to all of us it's the invitation that he gives to everyone. He says, leave everything behind. Follow after me. And be my disciple. Now, why would Levi leave everything behind to do that? Why would he change his starting point of the reference for his whole world? Why would he give up control of his life? Why would he decide to become like Jesus? And this is a tall ask right? Like, this is a huge deal. Why on earth would he do that? And the answer is this, and it's the answer that we all have. Because everything that we had and the fullness of it, the life we had, the career we had, the family, the friends, the money, the possessions, the, like, whatever it was, everything that we had, when you add it all up, the sum total of all of it just paled in comparison to what it is that Jesus offers us. Everything that we have, that we've acquired for ourselves, everything that this world has to offer us, if we took hold of everything that you can have in this life, it's just not enough. It still leaves us hungry. It still leaves us looking for something more. No matter how hard you work, no matter how, how hard you search, you'll never find the thing that you need in this life. You'll never find what it is that satisfies. You'll never find the purpose and the contentment that you are always looking for every moment of your life. And in one second, Levi encounters Jesus. And he encounters the goodness of God. He encounters the love of God. And he says, the love that I have found in Jesus, just through this one interaction, just through him approaching me and, and just demonstrating his love for me. Because of that, I'm willing to leave everything else behind. I'm willing to follow after him, and I'm willing to become his disciple because the love and the goodness that I have found in God is greater than anything else that this world has to offer me. And that's what it is for us. If you decided that you were going to follow after Jesus, it wasn't because you just love following after people you have no idea where you're going. It wasn't because you were just looking to completely change the paradigm of your life. It was because you had a moment where you encountered God's goodness, and it says that God's goodness is what leads us to repentance. See, I thought my life was pretty good. I used to think I was a, a fairly clever individual, that I was pretty good at things, and I could make a life for myself. I thought I had a pretty good family. 
I thought I had a pretty bright future. Like, we all had that moment, right? And it wasn't that Jesus came and was like, your hairline's going to recede someday. Things are going to be terrible. You're going to gain weight. Like, he didn't come and, like, cast this terrible picture of what my future was going to be. He just came and he demonstrated his love for me. And when I saw how good God was and how much he loved me, I figured out real quick that what I had been pursuing, what I'd been trying to make for myself, it wasn't that good. And I started to realize when I saw how perfect and how holy God was, I started figuring out how messed up and how broken and how sinful I was. Jesus didn't have to tell me that. I just had to see what good really was. And because of God's goodness, because of his love, I decided I was willing to leave everything else behind. I was willing to follow after him. I had no idea it was going to lead to what I'm doing right now. And Jesus probably is keeping hidden what I'll be doing 30 years from now because it'd terrify me to think about that as well. But he's leading me into that and he's making me like him. And that's the greatest miracle. He's changing my heart. He's making me like him. And then fourthly and lastly, this is the last part of Levi's repentance. It says, uh, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. So what did Levi do? He has this encounter with Jesus where he sees how good he is, how much he's loved. He decides to leave everything to follow him. Uh, he decides to become his disciple. And then what does he do? He invited all of his friends over to meet Jesus. This is a part of that repentance. Is what God has done in my life is amazing. The love that I found in Jesus is miraculous. Like everybody needs to know about this. And so he invites all of his friends over, his other tax collector friends, whoever it was that might have, like other, I don't know, maybe it was pimps and whatever else that he had that were a part of his circle that would accept him. But the people that he knew, the people that he had relationship with and influence with, he invites them all over to his house so that they can meet Jesus because he wants Jesus to do in their life what it is that he's done in his. He knows that Jesus, if Jesus could do this in me, I'm a backslidden Jew. Like, Jesus should hate me. But Jesus loved me. If he can do that in my life, he can do that in everybody else's. If Jesus loves even me where I was, then Jesus certainly is going to love my friends. So he invites them all over and he throws a meal so that his friends can meet Jesus. That's a part of repentance. That's a part of the reorienting of our life. He recognizes my life now isn't about trying to make money for myself and use other people to better myself. My life is about serving my friends now. My life is about making it so that my friends can receive from God what it is that I've received from him. And this is the reaction. It says, But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? This is a good point to say, if you think that someone is scum, you might be a lot farther from Jesus than you think you are. You're probably a lot farther from Jesus than the people that you're devaluing. These were the people, these were the religious people, these were the ones that had all the answers. These were the ones that were supposed to be leading people to know God and on the lookout for the Savior when he came. And when they see God in human flesh come, 
And go to those who are sinners, go to those who are lost, who are hurt, who are broken, who are far from him, who are in so, such desperate need of God's miraculous work in them. They look and they're mad about it. Like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with the scum? Jesus, why are you hanging out with these people who are irredeemable? Jesus, don't you know what they're like? Don't you know who they are? And Jesus knows what's going on in their thoughts, just like he does ours. And he answers them. And he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who are sinners and need, know they need to repent. So this is Jesus' answer. He says, you people who think that you're righteous, you're the hardest ones in the entire world to reach. If you think that you've got your life figured out, if you think that, you've, that you're going well, if you're looking down on other people and you're judging them as irredeemable, if you're devaluing who they are as a person, if you can't recognize that they're made in the image of God and that there's a call of God that's on them from before the foundations of the earth were laid, if you can't understand how greatly they are loved by God, then you're never going to get what it is that I have to offer you. That's part of why it's so hard for us as Americans to be disciples of Jesus. Because we're so rich. We have so much. We have the ability to make a pretty good life for ourselves, right? And we can find ourselves being like the Pharisees and the scribes. We think that we're righteous. We think that we've got it together. And Jesus says, I came for those who know that they're sinners. He says, I came for those who know that they need to repent. I came for the Levi's of the world. I came for the Jeremy Browns of the world. And what he's saying in the fact is that you need me too. You just don't even recognize it. You're the most lost of them all. Here's what I love about the story of Levi. Because over the next three years, this man who was as sinful and as far from God as you could be, despised by everyone, for three years follows after Jesus. He's there when Jesus dies. He sees Jesus when he's resurrected. He receives the empowerment of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And he goes out. And this man who had fallen away from the call of God on his life for all of these years, who had been oppressing the people of God, he now goes out to tell the whole world how good God is. He let Jesus direct his footsteps. He decided that he was going to follow after Jesus no matter the cost, and he truly was a disciple. He truly became like Jesus. And he shared with Jesus in the blessings, and he shared with Jesus in his sufferings. And because of that, there were thousands and thousands of people who just like Levi once, when he went to them and he told them how good God was, they decided too that they wanted to repent of their sins, that they wanted to reorient their life, and they became disciples of Jesus. And this man who was so far from God and, and oppressing his own people, he ended up laying down his life in Ethiopia so that other peoples could have what it is that he found. So that other people... Just like when he threw that dinner and he invited people to come in and to meet Jesus and experience his goodness. 
so that their lives could be changed too. He did that all the way down, even into Ethiopia, laying down his life. If Jesus could do that in Levi, he can do it in me. If he can do it in me, he can certainly do it in you. This morning, God's calling to you. He's come up to you where you are. Maybe you're still in the booth. And you've experienced a lot of hurt and a lot of judgment, a lot of anger from other people that are part of the religious community. And Jesus comes up to you now. He says, don't worry about them. Follow me. Be my disciple. He's offering you unconditional love, unconditional acceptance. And he will lead you into good places. He will do more with you and through you than you can even possibly ever imagine or hope for. He's calling you to change the way that you think. He's saying, I don't want you to be the base of your life anymore. I want you to make me the beginning of everything. And I want you to learn from me. I'll reveal truth to you. I'll reveal right and wrong to you. I'll reveal to you the way that I've called you to live and I'll lead you into that. He's saying, open up your heart so that I can make you like me. The Jesus that we read about in the Bible, that's who he wants us to be. It's who he's transforming us into. And that's what I want with my life. Maybe you're not in the tax booth still, but maybe you got out and you started along the way and you just kind of stalled Jesus isn't mad at you about that. He's not condemning you for that. He's calling you back. Maybe you found yourself being like the Pharisees and you're just mad at everybody else and you think people are irredeemable and there's been a hardness in your heart. What Jesus is saying is that I want to do a miracle inside of your heart. I want to, be able, I want to give you the ability to love other people like I love them. I want to give you the ability to see other people and their hurt and their hurtiness and their brokenness and for you to be filled with mercy and compassion for them that you would lay yourself down for them, that you would believe me to do something miraculous inside of their hearts. Maybe the act of repentance for you, so you just need to invite someone over to dinner at your house, a neighbor, some friends. You need to tell them about Jesus. You need to tell them about what it is that he's done in your life. Maybe you need to have them over and you need to apologize to them. It needs to be a moment of confession. Honestly, listen, I'm a Christian and I haven't been living like one. And I'm really sorry for that. And I hope you can forgive me. And from this moment forward, I'm going to do the best job that I can to model and to demonstrate Jesus to you and to give you, show you that kind of love and that acceptance and that grace and that kind of mercy. I think if you did that to someone, they'd be blown away by it. It's a part of our repentance. We need to invite people over for dinner. Like, I'm, like people are going through my mind right now that I need to have over for dinner. It can be that simple to tell someone about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life and what he can do in theirs. What is it for you this morning? What's Jesus speaking to you? Just take a moment to listen to him. Father, we're creating this space now where we're just going to be quiet for a minute so that you can approach us where we're at. 
so that you can speak something to us. God, what is it you want us to do? What's this repentance, what's this reorienting of our life look like for us when we walk out of this building today? Jesus, thank you that you came to us. We didn't deserve it. We deserve the judgment and wrath, but you came giving us love. We deserved to be condemned, but instead you called us. And Jesus, this morning, in every heart, would you just break the hardness? God, would you break the barriers and the walls that have been set up? Would you expose the lies that we've been believing? Jesus, that we could see more fully and more clearly how great your love is for us, how much the object of your affection we are, the great lengths that you've gone to to demonstrate your love for us. Jesus, would you just show us your glory? Would you show us how good you are? We don't want to serve or, or follow after you out of a sense of duty. We want to do it because we love you, because we've found so great a love in Jesus. That, that would be our motivation. And Jesus, give us the faith to leave everything behind. To center our world on you. Jesus, give us the courage to follow after you, to give you the control of our lives, that we wouldn't be fearful and try to take control back, but that we would have miraculous courage to follow after you and what you're calling us to. And Jesus, would you give us the Holy Spirit more abundantly in us so that we can be like you, so that we can be your disciples. God, those areas in our hearts that are just messed up, God, where we're judgmental, where we're proud, God, where we're unforgiving, where we're lustful, where we're greedy, all those things that aren't like you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you change our hearts? God, would you fill us with a passion for others? God, putting people in our minds right now, people that this is an act of discipleship, as an act of repentance, we need to invite over to our house to have lunch or dinner or grab a coffee with, people we need to tell about you, people we need to start praying for and contending for that they would receive the life that you have to offer them. 
Jesus, we want to take this disciple-making seriously because it's what you told us to do. And because we believe you're strong enough to do it, because our hearts are being filled with passion for those who are around us. Change us today, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite my prayer partners to come forward. and They're just going to be on the right outside of these, this front area here. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, we would love to pray with you. Uh, I mean, we just see God do incredible things all the time, just every week, over and over. God's so faithful. If you've decided you want to follow after Jesus, we'd love to talk with you, to encourage you in that. Whatever it might be, come let us pray for you. And if not, go out there, drink some coffee, make some friends. And even, I encourage you, when you get home today, like, take a minute. I don't know if you're journalers or not, but journal something. Like, what did God speak to you today? And really let it change the way that you live this week. Well, thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week. God bless.